and joining me from her palatial two-bedroom, two-bathroom condo in Chicago is Di Billick. Di, how are you? Hi, it's me. I'm fantastic. <laughs> how are you? That's great. Wow. Yeah, uh, good to have you back on. Uh, we uh, had a chat last week about E3 2019. The greatest thing that's ever happened. Pretty much the greatest thing, yeah. Uh, this week, though, uh, I have an interview with Maggie Herskowitz. Uh, Maggie is a New York City playwright, performer, and creative director. She's worked on Monster Prom and another new game, Witch of the Wilderness. We'll talk about that a little bit later, though. In the meantime, Di, you and I have to do some screen watching. I'm so excited. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Yeah, we're, uh, we're covering a pretty popular series from the 1990s today. Uh, this is a series that uh, a lot of people that I know, and I am not a contrarian or a naysayer, one of those people who are like, I don't like things that other people like, but I don't like this show. What? You don't like Friends? <laughs> Let me tell you, I love classic sitcoms. I think my number one sitcom of all time is Frasier, uh, which is like, it, it's it's hard for people to love that show. It's not as palatable as other, you know, shows. But Friends, holy friggin' let me list off the reasons why I think it's wrong if we had 800 hours. So I'm just going to say, wow, it's bad. <laughs> it didn't seem that great when i watched today's episode and maybe there are other funnier ones that i i overlooked i'm gonna be honest with you the okay. uh the comic relief person matt leblanc who is who is uh his character is like the dumb one i honestly think he's the best actor and the funniest actor on the entire show he seems and pretty endearing. He's super underrated. And I think that he, you know, he's obviously not like that in real life. It's a character that he's playing. But I think that he's very underrated. And I think that he's the only really, like, legit, enjoyable person to watch on the show. Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox, obviously really good actors. Uh, but, man, it's just like they're they're just caricatures of themselves. It's, like, so annoying. The writing's friggin' so stale. And it's like you could fit, fit it into a, a program. I feel like real people don't even write these episodes. It gave off some of the energy I feel watching The Big Bang Theory, which is not a compliment. I could I I couldn't watch more than one episode of that. I didn't make it past one. It's like the the jokes are like like the 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 rhythm of the episode is like line, joke, pause, joke, pause, joke, pause. But like none of the jokes are good either. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, this episode we're watching today is the one where Joey dates Rachel, season eight, episode twelve, aired originally January tenth, two thousand and two. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, so the uh, there's an A plot and a B plot to this episode. the The video game portion is the B plot. Uh, so let's jump in on that. Uh, Phoebe, as a wedding gift, has given a hardwood cabinet of Ms. Pac-Man to Monica and Chandler. 
And uh, that's more or less the whole the whole B plot. That's pretty much the whole B plot. They uh, they're super competitive, which is pretty funny. Uh, but you know, if if there was just better characters being super competitive about it, I would have liked more. But they are competitive about it. Uh, and then, as you do when you get on the leaderboard of an arcade game, you put in things like "ass" and you know the swear words that you were able to put in with three letters. They did so. Chandler did so, and then. Um, Monica said, I don't want Ben seeing this. So I don't know how old he was, like eight or something. They they said he was seven. Seven, seven. And, and that's like, it was Monica and Ross's nephew because they are related, I believe. Ross and uh, Monica, I mean. They're uh, brother right. and sister. Right, they're brother and sister. Um, so they didn't want Ben seeing it. So then they have to play to try to change the scores because unplugging it didn't work so they didn't they wanted the the name off of there and they end up uh i don't know <sighs> yeah so the uh phoebe was the one who originally had all the high scores before chandler and so they called phoebe back in to uh be their ringer to try and fix the problem and as she's trying to do it she uh she fails she loses her last life and gets a game over and starts swearing up a storm but uh-oh Who's in the room? Ben just walked in the room. Ben just walked in. The the little kid who they were trying to protect from the naughty initials. Which he wouldn't have been able to, he wouldn't even have noticed anyway. Which they they pointed out. They're like, he won't, Chandler's like, he won't get it. (laughs) I know. It's it's weak. And I know it was a B plot. You have to have the friggin' comic relief or something. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's a sitcom. Well, it seems like. You know, okay, so this is someone who has watched very few episodes of Friends. So, you know, willing to put my foot in my mouth here. Uh, is there, like, some obligation to get all the Friends in the episode? It just feels like not sure. it felt extremely forced because, like, they also had this C-plot for Ross, which they were able to devote, like, four minutes to of right. him. Like, oh, he's very busy and he has trouble getting to his work, which as he's a lecturer. And, like, the whole thing was so paper thin it's like he's having trouble getting there and he gets there but he like is sweaty and he faints it's like that that's the that's the payoff yeah and he's a just a horrible actor you know um as a as a performer at the chicago theater uh building as it was formerly called uh stage 773 i have shared a toilet with david schwimmer and john malkovich who both uh performed there quite frequently and um, what came out of my ass was the equivalent of the acting that I saw David Schwimmer do in this episode. And that is my multi-layered assessment of his acting. I think he should be a little more charitable just because if the goal was to make Ross an unlikable putz, then David Schwimmer was very good at that. Perhaps. His <laughs> ca- but his character was written so as such a strong, sharp sociopath with like really abusive misogynistic tendencies didn't even have didn't he have like blackface or something in one of those episodes i do not know i remember seeing this somewhere hearing about this somewhere or he tanned he tanned a lot or something he like over tanned and then was like incredibly dark and it was like so funny and it's like oh my god dude for real what the hell's your freaking problem it's just like there's uh, how many people are on the show six 
there's six white there, white there, people there are six friends yes. like are you freaking kidding me it's just unacceptable anyway i'm sure david schwimmer is just freaking fine but oh my god i don't know i guess i would take that amount of money to yeah play that freaking train wreck of a human being i mean he's impossibly rich like he has to be at this point i mean yeah. they, they were making like a million dollars per episode and then they have like all these royalties that are being given in perpetuity for fuck's sake though come on yeah come on anyway so you know what's the longest you've ever played a video game for because i want to really uncover i really want to dissect what they've done here I would say about 12 hours. Same, if not 14, right? Yeah. Um, so Chandler played all day, eight hours, and his hand cramped up. And first of all, uh, David, or what's the name? Who plays this guy? Who plays Chandler? Yeah. That's uh, not Matthew Broderick. Matthew, Matthew Perry. Perry. Yeah, Matthew Perry. So Matthew Perry like has his hand crippled two different ways in two different scenes, which, like, come on. I know you're, like, recovering from drugs at this point because after he gains a bunch of weight, he, like, he that's when he, that was his drug recovery period or something. I don't know. I read all about it. I, I felt kind of bad for him. But, like, can't you just, like, do you have to phone in every single scene? Your hand has never cramped after playing a video game, Bill, has it? Uh no, I not mean, like that. Not to like where that. you're yeah. crippled. Yeah, it was a joke based on like not knowing video games. I think, but we've all played for that long. Because like it seemed like a joke based on like the the way his hand was all clawed up about like I guess like holding the joystick too long. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm still. You know what? I'm just still calling bullshit. Yeah, it it, it felt. Just like the other plot with Ross, like very thin. Mm-hmm. Like okay, we need something for them to do. And, like, there was so – they invested all the time in, like, setting up, like, the scene and the stakes. And they had, like, very little time to, like, actually do anything with, like, the actual material, like, to make it funny or even to, like, show anything about the characters. Exactly. And you know what? It may be just, like, a layup at that point because they have a bunch of people watching the show. That was season eight, correct? Yes. So it was season eight. So you have a lot of people watching one of the most popular shows ever. So the characters already carved out in a lot of viewers' minds. And I'm sure we took that. um, I'm sure they took that for granted. If you're a new viewer watching this episode and you're not familiar with them, then it's bad. I'm sure people who like the sitcom, though, and like are familiar with the characters think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I... uh... (laughs) I actually found the the funny thing is like I was figuring like whatever this other stuff will be I'm here to watch the video game thing. The A plot wasn't that bad. Like it felt really uh like like sensitive mm-hmm. and like I felt like a lot of empathy between the characters like they were exploring a very common thing. It's like mm-hmm. two friends thinking about like would they be in a relationship together? Or at least one of them was. Mm-hmm. And like it felt pretty real. And I think that's partially Matt LeBlanc's uh, contribution because he's just, he is a seriously good actor. All I'm saying is, where is he now? I don't know. I'm going to Google him. Yeah. Uh, I know Jennifer Aniston is still around. Like, they're still, still around. Yes. I know uh, Lisa Kudrow was doing some kind of comedy recently. The Comeback the on comeback, HBO. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, Matthew Perry was on the revival of The Odd Couple a few years ago. I don't know if that's still going. 
Interesting. I was rooting for that one because one of the dudes from Reno 911 was on oh, there. Oh, I love that show. And so I was like, yeah, get it, man. Get that broadcast TV money. Yeah, for sure. My lord. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, obviously neither of us are the biggest Friends fans out there, but it felt interesting to like see what this was about. Yeah. Um, wow. Joey, uh, the character had a knockoff from 2004 to 2006 after friends ended. I oh, bet yeah, that Joey. was a train wreck. Yeah. They, like he was the only one who wasn't able to move on to like a new thing. So they gave it a go with Joey and it didn't last. It's too bad. Cause I, I really do think that he's not dimwitted at all. I yeah. think that he's good. I'm sure Matt LeBlanc is a, like a, a normally, a, like a d- intelligent person. Yes. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like we, we kind of have uh, let our feelings slip already. But Jai, <laughs> we should do some rating for this episode. Yes. Uh, as with any uh, video game you would be rating, we are going to be going on a scale of 6 to 10. And we are going to be looking at three categories, accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. So let's start off with accuracy. First of all, if 6 is completely inaccurate and 10 is extremely accurate, how would you rate Friends and this Pac-Man. A seven uh, because of the reason that I had cited, which is if you play a video game for eight hours, you are not crippled for over a day. You might be sore. That's all. <laughs> I feel like if I could, I would give this like an I or an incomplete. <laughs> but instead, I think I'm just going to go with uh, a 6.5. Because they don't show the game. They, they don't, don't, you're right. They, they don't, don't show even, the game. They don't even use like any of like the noteworthy sound effects from, like Pac-Man has one of the most iconic sound effects. <laughs> that and, and just the, the waka 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 waka. Yep. Like, that, and did they use either of them in the episode? I don't recall hearing that. I don't recall either. The fact that we didn't see any actual gameplay. I actually, I was looking pretty closely at the cabinet itself because... I used to work in e-commerce for a company that restored old arcade games, which was amazing. It's true. It was the best. Uh, the, The cabinet was scuffed up, and I wouldn't be surprised if they actually got a game a game that didn't work but like had the actual like original cabinet because it looked pretty legit to me I believe so maybe that. it didn't work yeah i believe that so that's why i'm not giving it a six i'm giving it a 6.5 because the cabinet art <laughs> looked legitimate <laughs> it was legit okay and then uh next up is condescension if you think the uh ga- episode was not condescending towards video games at all give it a six if you think it was extremely condescending towards video games give it a 10 uh, towards video games or towards video game players? Because if so, I don't Both. know. Probably eight. I think that uh, the dig towards Monica and the stupid ass joke that was like, what was the f- game that you loved the most? No, the other one. Uh, the one where I put the quarter in and then a Clark bar came out. Like, that was a vending machine. Her, her, her. Okay, like, how are we supposed to... That writing is just so piss poor. Because these, you know, like, her character is supposed to be intelligent as well as her husband's. Like, give me a break. I think that's... I think it's condescending in that way. So not really towards gamers or towards video games themselves. You know, I just have a bad taste in my mouth with it. So, friggin' eight. <laughs> I am going to I'm gonna go with a nine. I think like, yeah, they make fun of Mar uh, Margaret. <laughs> they make fun of Monica for you know. It seems like 
I'm guessing there's a lot of material based on like her childhood where I guess she was, you know, overweight. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, she's the nerd and she liked video games when she was a kid. And now she's like older and hotter. Uh, and then uh, Matthew Broderick is like, oh, I got the hand. Matthew pain. Perry. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Perry. If Matthew Broderick was on the show, I, I would like it a lot more. It would be better. <laughs> he, Matthew Broderick is a sweetheart. He's pretty great. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it felt like it was all pretty hacky, the whole thing. And like they're all supposed to look like losers for being so invested in it. You know what, honestly? Like, and that was kind of the. That was. That kind of was echoing of early 2000s attitudes towards gaming starting to turn and like gaming was becoming more commonplace for people i've never i was never like oh you're a nerd play video games i was obsessed with video games for so long and i didn't have like no one made fun of me for it i think that's like when that's portrayed in media like that either i grew up in a weird place or like it's just like give me a break yeah, I think attitudes have changed a lot since then. I mean, for, like, Friends or, like, Seinfeld had that infamous, you know, Frogger episode. Yes. Like, those characters were, I mean, around the age of 30. So when they were kids, it would have, they would have been, like, 1977, 78. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, the, the attitudes have definitely shifted since then. Uh, the By the way, the Frogger episode is actually a pretty good execution. Uh, that was the very first screen watching we did on this podcast i love it that one was really good they they did a lot of good work with that they did they did i love that episode it's seinfeld you can't go wrong it's Mm -hmm. just it's number two i think the best written ever i'm pretty sure it's just the good number one anyway anyway and what's the third (laughs) is uh entertainment and that's uh if you found it completely unentertaining give it a six if you found it wildly entertaining give it a ten six Okay. Six. Six. Period. Uh, can I find any reason to give it more than a six? Uh, ooh. No. No, I got to go with a six, too. I, I try. You know, here's a little secret for the listener. I try and uh, flex my score based on what the guest says because then it sounds more interesting if we have differing viewpoints. <laughs> and I can't think of one because I thought this was really boring and stupid. <laughs> what like and i try and have an open mind and if something if i go into something knowing i don't like it like friends i seriously sat yesterday when i was watching the episode i was like mm, i'm going to i'm going to try to like this and i couldn't do it i couldn't do it how bb gets mad at the end and how she goes so crazy i could see to a degree but she was smiling while it was happening and i was like it's good that you have fun as an actor but you're not acting dude like is it because the writing is so bad that you can't commit to your character probably just the it's the whole thing is a train wreck like train wreck i'm sure lisa kudrow is extremely funny but i think i actually i i can attest that in real life absolutely hilarious hilarious woman um also like a good writer and just like a good overall person as well Hmm. like yeah for Hmm. sure but I mean, you can't blame someone's bad acting when the writing is so bad. Yeah. Something I've learned. Well, uh, I think that's a a somber place to uh, leave our screen watching segment. But nevertheless, we will leave behind. Uh, We'll come back and hopefully uh, see a more positive TV show in the future. But for now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll be talking with Maggie Herskowitz.
And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line right now is Maggie Herskowitz. Maggie is an actor, writer, and creative director out in the big New York City. Woo! And she was so kind to, <laughs> she was kind enough to join me on the line right now to uh, talk about some of her projects. So Maggie, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So uh, let's start off. The way that people in video games may know you best is from your work on the game Monster Prom. So just for people who are not previously familiar with that title, could you give an elevator pitch for Monster Prom? Absolutely. Well, I'm so sorry for those of you not yet familiar with the glories of Monster Prom, um, but it is best described as the world's first and possibly only uh, multiplayer dating sim in which you are, as it says on the tin, trying to get some monsters to go to prom with you. Uh, and it's super raunchy, it's super fun. You can play it cooperatively or competitively because when you're sitting around with your friends, you can decide to all pursue different love interests and stay out of each other's way. Or you can decide you're all gonna try and date the same monster and then it becomes this cutthroat battle to the finish line of who is going to capture this particular monster's heart. So believe it or not, I actually uh, found out about this project a little bit back at uh, PAX East 2018 yeah. when, I, when I met Julian, uh, one of the, the main uh, guys on the project. I was just wondering, uh, he mentioned right at that time, actually, that you were you were writing on the game already. I was wondering how you became a part of the project in the first place. Yeah, well, that's actually kind of a fun and cool story in that Corey O'Brien who's the lead writer on Monster Prom's sequel and was one of the writers on uh, the first one with me as well. Uh, he wrote a book called Zeus Grant's Stupid Wishes, which was kind of this viral hit on Tumblr. And through that, Julian sought him out and was like, oh my God, you're the funniest, best, most handsomest person on the planet. Please write my game. And Corey was like, yes, of course I will. Uh, and Corey O'Brien is a childhood friend of mine. We've been friends since we were 13 years old. And now we are more than twice that. And he reached out to me at one point and we were just chatting as friends. And he was like, you know, I've been working on this game and my boss is really having trouble finding another writer that he likes uh, to sort of finish this game with me. And I was like, you do realize that I'm another writer, right? And he was like, oh yeah, do you, do you wanna do some spec work? And I was like, I sure do. So several months of spec work later, I joined the team. So I probably started in 2017. I know Cor Corey and Julian had been up to shenanigans uh, in Monster Prom development world for probably a year and a half, maybe, before I even joined. And then I feel like it was another good year, year and a half from the time that I joined to the time that Monster Prom was published in April of 2018. Such a wacky, uh, wacky connection there. Yeah, isn't that fun? Uh, with Monster Prom, I mean, obviously you have this uh, extensive experience writing uh, screenplays, uh, musicals. Yes. But, I, I mean, a, a video game, I think, is a totally different beast. Uh, how, how did that differ from uh, your previous work? Uh, yeah, well, with Monster Prom especially, it's very episodic. For those of you who haven't played, basically what happens is it functions in what we call events, which is your monster runs into one or two or maybe even more monsters, some wacky shenanigans go down, you pick one of two things to say, and then there are four possible reactions on the other end, 
which is that you could succeed or fail at either of the two options based on your stats, much like in D&D or any other stats-based game. It's all just the digital internal roll of the dice. Uh, so what's different from when I'm writing a musical or when I'm writing a screenplay is there you have an overall story, you have character arcs, you have a plot, you have plot development, you have rising action, you have falling action, you know, all that good, fun, technical stuff. Whereas when it's in these little bursts, um, one of the things is Julian really wanted every single line to be its own punchline and comedic, which is something I wasn't used to because I was used to more, oh, well, what would the character say? What would the character do? And it was like, no, everything has to be joke, 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 joke. Uh, and that's something Corey is so brilliant with and so good at helping me learn how to do that. Um, but what is the same is character is character is character and the characters that Julian had created and that Corey helped develop are so rich, so funny, so exciting, so easy to tap into their voices because it is this larger than life absurdist game. They have these very strong voices. So that's the same. And the other thing that's the same across all forms of writing is conflict. And just one person wants something, the other person wants a different thing. How is that going to get resolved? But in this case, it's in these short little almost sketch-like bursts of action. Now, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but how did the collaboration between you, Corey, and Julian work? Because you, two of you are in different cities within the same continent, and then another one of you is on an entirely different continent. Well, Julian would come in and write some events. Uh, he started to do that more and more as the game goes on, but originally, I, I would say, when I came on board, almost 100% of the events had been written by Corey at that point, to the best of my knowledge. And so Corey was the one who was really tasked with kind of holding my hand and helping me through it. Uh, and I think, as I said, to some degree, I really was like, and then what would Vera say? And Corey would be the one who's like, nope, have to make it go wilder and crazier. You know, what would happen if a thing of rhinos crashed through the ceiling was a thing that happened at one time. There was one event where we just kept trying to top each other with um, what tattoo you would get to impress Damien. And I remember the answers ended up being, one of them was just a sea cucumber. And then the other answer was a pentagram made out of pentagrams and the pentagrams are on fire and the fire is guns and the guns are on fire and they're shooting pentagrams and the fire <laughs> hates its dad. Like it was this whole crazy thing. And uh, I, I still think most of my fondest monster prom memories are the times when I was kind of banging my head against a wall going, I don't know if I can be absurdist enough. And Corey would pick up the phone and we would just start trying to uh, outdo one another and just reach some absolutely insane uh, places and conclusions by the end of that. Now, I'm sure that every character you wrote for is special and precious in their own way. But my guess is that maybe one character is more special and more precious to yes. you. Do you have a personal favorite character from the cast? Many. I'm very bad. I, I know we like shouldn't have favorite children, but anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I talk about my favorites all the time. Uh, but for me, uh, particularly, I was writing a route for the Coven, who are the three witches in the first Monster Prom game. And uh, Julian had written, he writes all the sort of, basically skeletal outlines of the events and then Corey and I come in and decide how the insanity happens. I think Julian just had the coven meet an enemy 
And I started writing that it was this vampire and his name was Dimitri and he was dramatic and he was shirtless and he was like crying a single tear and he was sparkling and he was this and he was that. And Julian just fell in love with Dimitri and was like, Dimitri is now a character in this game. He's going to get full art. He's going to get expressions. He's going to get outfits. So when Monster Prom's second term was released, Dimitri, who is this character who I wrote as an off-screen you know, unseen presence as this one-off joke was a fully drawn, beautiful creature. So that was very exciting for me as someone who came onto the game when it was fully formed. You know, there was a world there and I just got to play in the sandbox to have enough of an effect to generate a character uh, makes Dimitri inherently very close to my heart. And then other than that, I love me some Miranda. And I know some people don't. I just think she's really kind of naive and extra and annoying. And I identify as all of those things. So I think, I think she's pretty great. I think she's hilarious. I like that she genuinely has such a good heart and is just so ignorant to the ways of the world that her good-heartedness leads to uh, tons of murder and a brutal theocracy because she just doesn't know any better i think that's great for her i feel like it wouldn't be fair of me to ask you who the canonical ships are so I, i've softened a bit i have a different question for you Ooh, okay can you guess how many works there are tagged monster prom on archive of our own right now Ooh! oh i love this question oh my goodness well, the fandom is bonkers. I know that. I spend I spend a lot of time on the internet. My mom says I spend too much time on the internet with the Monster Prom fans, but I was about to say she's never had fans, but that's not true because she was on Star Trek and she still gets fan mail from it. So basically what I'm saying is my mom is just better at not being lured to the dark side of internet fame than I am. So I'm going to say it's a high number. It's definitely... There's so much fan art. Now I'm second-guessing myself. I don't know. You just have to tell me. This is so exciting. There are 291 works tagged Monster Prom on Archive of Our Own, which is... Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing, though, and I, I can't imagine how many more uh, pieces of art and stories are out there on Tumblr, which yes. I, I don't have an effective way to track. <laughs> no, there's, there's... Nor should anyone try to. But I just know the, the fan art is like... The, the quantities of that is so massive. We had, they were so cute for our, for our Kickstarter for the sequel ending on, they did a little tag that was hashtag MP dev surprise. And they all did fan art of us, the devs. And there were like 20 pieces of fan art just of us just that day. Like it was, it was crazy. That's amazing. Wow. I bet I'm not legally allowed to read fan fiction, honestly, because then if we end up writing anything similar, we could get sued. But if I could legally read fan fiction of something I was working on, I would do that all day, every day. Do you know how many of it's dirty? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh there is an explicit tag and there are uh, 61 works marked explicit. Ah! Wait, that's like... I can't do math, but that is a significant percentage of the works in total. Monster Prom fandom. Okay. That 20% of the works are very, wow. very horny. Maybe a lot. Maybe even more than that. Like, there's a mature tag, too. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, Monster Prom fandom. I love these so. Wow. <laughs> there you have it. 
uh, this year at PAX East, you attended in person in the uh, the Kickstarter room to kind of... I did! Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh my god, it was so magical. It just could not have been any more wonderful. I had never been to a convention before, really, even just as a fan. So to have my first con experience to be there as a creator was... Uh, I, I thought it was going to be really overwhelming. The Kickstarter room is much more sequestered than the actual uh, show floor is. And I was very grateful for that because um, I'm very bubbly. I love talking to people, but I am secretly a little introverted when it comes to having crowds of thousands. So having this beautiful, beautiful forest room um, that was like nice lighting. It was smaller. It was off to the side, but it was filled with the most amazing people ever it was so cool seeing people dressed up as characters from a game i had worked on was so cool and Corey o'brien was there uh with this his game in human conditions as well he was doing double duty in the kickstarter room it's always great to see him um and then like some of the really sweet monster prom fans who came to pax dressed as monster prom characters turned out to live in new york and then came and saw one of my musicals so like it, it, they were just the, the monster prom fans are the most supportive generous dedicated people on the planet people came wearing monster prom merchandise people came wearing cosplays that they made themselves with the full body paint and everything like that and it was just, and all the other game devs were so nice and everyone treated me like I had been in the games world my whole life, which I so hadn't. And I am constantly feeling so blessed that I fell into this career and that everyone has been so generous and so accepting. Because I feel like on the internet, mostly you only ever hear the negative sides of the gaming community. And uh, we, we have a character in the Monster Prom second term uh, DLC pack called Leonard, who's kind of a parody of all the worst parts of like gamer culture, the you know, misogyny, the homophobia, the entitlement, whatever. And I feel like that is the image of a gamer that is sometimes put out there. But the vast majority of the people are so above and beyond kind and generous and funny and creative and smart. And yeah, as you can tell, I just had a really, really magical, wonderful time. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I think PAX fortunately brings out the best in a lot of uh, gamers or also just brings out the best people uh, from the gaming yeah. community because they want to meet in person and share their love of games. I'm sure that there are still people there who are uh, maybe not so great, but I, I yeah. think them overwhelmingly They stayed majority. out of our way, though. Yes, good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we got nothing but great people, and there was a bird in our Airbnb who we were allowed to play with whenever we wanted. It's so, like that was a big help <laughs> to just like get back to the Airbnb, play with the bird, and then just uh, go back the next day. And I was cosplaying uh, Miranda for most of it. <laughs> I, I sewed myself a costume because I was like, I... I think it'd be different if I'd like gone to many, many cons as a fan in costume and I was like, ah, now I'm here as a dev. But instead it was like, I've never been to a con before. I want to I wanna sew and create and dress up and have a good time. So, you know, because I'm, I'm a Monster Prom fan too. I enjoy it. I, I've been a fan of Corey's writing since I was a young teenager. So it's cool to uh, feel like I am enjoying things along with the fandom. 
Corey's, of course, mm-hmm. a, a best friend, but I'm sure he's also somewhat of a, a peer in the creative community. He went off, and he's working on Monster Prom 2, but he's working on his own game as well. And it sounds yes. to me like you're working on Monster Prom 2 as well, but you're going to be working on something else in addition? I am, yes. I'm very excited. Um, in the next couple months, I'm launching the Kickstarter for my game, Witch of the Wilderness, uh, which started as a project with my cousin, who's an incredible, incredible illustrator, artist, animator. And the reason why I'm not sure if it's going to be this month or next month is because yesterday my cousin got a studio job working on an animated movie that I can't talk about beyond saying that. But <laughs> what, it, what it shows is that she's, she's a really wonderful artist and you'll all be very lucky to uh experience her beautiful art um but yeah i didn't know i was gonna fall as in love with the video game medium as i did but i really kind of did and there were just a couple things i saw within the world of video games that i thought there was a gap for someone to do more or explore further uh one of those things being different body types. I found that in dating sims, people tend to be very much the same kind of shape. And actually one game I'm really excited about doing a really interesting, great job with this is Boyfriend Dungeon um, by the good people at Kit Fox Games. Um, We at Monster Prom love them very much. And I think Boyfriend Dungeon has some really interesting body diversity. But uh, yeah, so, so I'm creative directoring and producing and lead writing and uh, all the multi-hat wearing things. This game about a pansexual coven of diverse witches fighting climate crisis in the year 2040. And you can play it as a horny dating sim or you can play it just as an adventure and magic and wildlife and just exciting fun time journey game and uh yeah i'm really excited about it nervous but very excited i really appreciate that you put a little extra affectation on your voice when you're saying that you are the creative director yeah because it's it's scary it's scary i haven't i haven't done that before um but it's cool and it's a lot the closer it comes to time the more i'm like oh my gosh can i really do this But I think the answer is yes, because what I've learned is that people in the games community are so generous. And I think my biggest skill set so far, as far as I can tell, with a creative as a creative director, is my ability to say I have no bleeping idea, because that opens me up to gathering more resources and learning more. Because I think sometimes, you know in in any arena of the world the more power you accrue the easier it is to go oh i'm in charge i know exactly what i'm doing i don't need anyone's help i've got this and i never feel that way and i think it's a good thing because uh right now it's an all-female team and one of our programmers uh, by that i mean one of our team members is the programmer. Uh, her name is Kirsten Sugar, which is an adorable name. And I met her at PAX and we were just chatting about body diversity in games and she was bemoaning the lack of it. And I said, well, you know, my cousin and I for the last 
year or so have been developing this game and I've been looking for a programmer for it. And she was like, I'm a programmer and I live in New York City. Well, so well, she's well. Become a, <laughs> yeah. So she's become a really close friend of mine. But very early on, she very sweetly, you know, I was saying, I want this to feel collaborative. Like if you have ideas about story, if you have ideas about this, that. She was like, I don't have ideas about story, but you don't seem to know a whole ton about gameplay. So... I would like to throw my hat in the ring as game designer and in charge of gameplay and game flow as well as just doing the programming. And I said, dear God, please, yes. So the more, I I think this is a good thing for anyone in any discipline to realize, which is the more you're willing to say, I don't know, the more the people around you are able to say, I do. Guess what? This is my thing and I have studied nothing but this for the last 10 years and I can bring all of that expertise to the table and help you out in that field so you can work on the stuff you're good at, which I think is awesome. So Kirsten has been a total blessing um, in that sense and all just because she was hanging out in the Kickstarter room at PAX East. So it all comes back around. That's one thing I was wondering about for sure is because I think right now the majority of games being made, uh, they start with like a game mechanic or a design idea. And then they build that, and then like a story fills in around that. But from from what I'm hearing, it sounds like maybe the opposite is emerging, where there's a story in place already, and now we are crafting the game to fit that story. Uh, has very much so. And beyond that, it really just started with uh, having all these beautiful, beautiful illustrations of my cousins, and just kind of wanting to work with her, and going, okay, what could I do with this skill set that she has, this skill set that I have, well, we can make a visual novel together. And now Kirsten more and more has been pushing for more complex gameplay and mini games and things like that that I'm so excited about and are amazing and so fun and magical and witchy and everything you would want a fun witch game to be. So when we do launch the Kickstarter, we'll have our funded goal that will take us to the visual novel of my limited imagination, which is just you know, you click and respond and click and respond, click and respond, which is perfectly fine gameplay. And there are many games like that that I love. And then if we hit a certain goal, we then get to go into Kirsten's world of more fully integrated mini games and things like that. Um, But yeah, that's what makes video games such a cool medium is they are so multifaceted because they are stories, but they are stories that you're playing through in a way that you don't in any other medium. So because of that, it feels like you're almost working with a fourth dimension. That I mean, I'm very much looking forward to finding out more about this game as, as the, uh, the Kickstarter and the project itself take shape. So, Oh, thank you so much. Me too. I guess I have three questions here. They're, they're a little bit off topic, if you'll indulge me. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, up till now, we talked about Monster Prom and their uh, intense fandom. Uh, yes. Would you consider yourself fandom trash for any uh, show or book or anything? Too many. Too many. Um, I, don't, I don't do fan art because I'm not uh, quite artistically talented enough to express my love that way. And I've never done fan fiction because I have to use my writing time to uh, support myself um, because capitalism... But in terms of, like, the level of passion that I have for things, yes. Very, very much yes. Um, I mean, oh, God, everything. 
everything. Uh, I mean, Game of Thrones, Firefly was a huge one for me. Um, I won a cosplay contest as River Tam once. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, those are, those are two just off the top of my head, like thinking what the big fandoms are. Yeah, we'll force you um, to rank them. Just, yeah, some some that really, really inspire a lot of uh, feelings and opinions. Yeah, I mean, Firefly is a huge one, but like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I Disney. I'm such a huge Disney nerd. It's like mortifying. Um, pr- pretty much mo- most of the big things that you'd be like, Oh no, nerds! They like Harry Potter. Like, yup, I I used to speak Elvish when I was a teenager. <laughs> That's a thing I did with my time for real. And obviously, the musical theater fandom and Twitter. Twitter knows this. Monster Prom Twitter knows this. I love musical theater, and I have a habit of sneaking musical theater quotes into the game. And people on the internet freak out and get so excited about it when they find the quotes. And Julian gets real mad because he does not think people like musical theater. But more and more, Twitter is proving him wrong. And I am winning. Because that's, I mean, you want to win against your boss, right? Like, that's how a healthy, like, working relationship goes. You're trying to, like, win at fandom. Uh, but yeah, I guess Disney, musical theater, Firefly, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones. Um, I loved Good Omens. Um, yeah, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett. I don't know if those are so much like fandoms in terms of the internet sense of the word. Um, but everyone's losing their minds over Good Omens right now, and I am right there with them. I'm very excited about the upcoming uh, His Dark Materials adaptation on HBO. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I feel like that answer was both too broad and not enough at the same time. But like that's that's what I got. My my love of culture is very much spread around. We'll have to loop back around and do the second podcast about just fandoms. Yes. Oh my god. I yeah. Fandom is a very magical thing. I think. It can be toxic, but it also can be the best thing on the planet. Oh, yeah. I think that's true of anything. It's like nuclear power. Yeah! Yeah, it's all just whose hands is it in. (laughs) Uh, Second off, now, today is a a very special day for for people of your uh, profession that the the Tonys are happening. Mm -hmm. Now, this recording will be happening, uh, or it'll be released, after the Tonys have happened. So maybe we could get some time capsule predictions for what's going to be going on Ooh, or what we can do is go back in and like re-record after the tonys are happened and like have all our answers be right and then we'll seem like we're psychic and everyone will revere us um i'm good for both predictions yeah yeah whatever it's all good um i'm gonna say hades town is gonna do really well tonight um, I think that's a safe bet numbers-wise because they have the most nominations with 14 and also a safe bet because it's a really, really beautiful piece and I hope it is rewarded for its beauty and quality. Um, I haven't seen a whole ton of plays this year, unfortunately. I did see Elaine May in uh, Waverly Gallery and I thought she was Absolutely spectacular. I would love to see her win the Tony for that. Um, 
Yeah, but my 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 money and the, my heart is going to be with Hades Town for this evening. And finally, then uh, I guess this last question is really a three-part question. So yes, uh, I feel like there is among everyone, uh, gamers everywhere, a shared connection with Pokemon, where people have either yes, absolutely played the Game Boy games, or they watched the cartoon, or they played Pokemon Go. Uh, so for you, Maggie, I need to know of all the Pokemon out there. Which one would be the lead performer in a Broadway show, in an off-Broadway show, and an off-off-Broadway show? This is such an incredible question. And I thought about this a lot. Because instantly I went to Mr. Mime. Which I know is like kind of on the nose. But sometimes you just have to follow your instincts and be like, yeah, okay, it's a performer Pokemon. We're talking about performance. But why not lean into that? So it's like off off Broadway, Mr. Mime is going to have his own really experimental show like at the Flea or somewhere on the Lower West Side like that. It's going to be super interesting. I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to put him as the lead in like a big mainstream piece because he's, you know, mime. He's not going to talk. Then I realized none of the Pokemon talked. So then I was like, hmm, this is more interesting. So Here's, here's what my heart was telling me. Mr. Mime, super interesting, experimental, one-man show at the Flea. Then, like, an off-Broadway revival of some golden-era musical starring Jigglypuff Ooh. to just really, you know, showcase those beautiful pipes. And if it's more about the music, then it's not really going to matter as much that Jigglypuff is just saying Jigglypuff over and over again. And then for Broadway... Now, this is going to be a little more unorthodox because they're not Pokemon, but who I would really love to see get involved in the Broadway community on pretty much any level as writers, as performers, maybe like a Lin-Manuel situation or me situation where they're writing and performing is I think that would be really great for Jesse and James because I (laughs) I feel like they're very dramatic people. I feel like they talk really loudly. They can fill a space. Um, I also, people forget that when you're in a broad show, you are doing the same thing eight times a week, but the audience, it's their first time. So everything has to be your first time doing that. And I feel like their ability to go into, to protect the world from devastation, as if they've never said it before, as if this isn't the exact same crappy plan that has failed every single other time, is exactly what you need in a theatrical performer. And I just feel like they're old enough that they should know better, but they're young enough that they have enough of their lives ahead of them that if right now they were like, maybe we should stop trying to implement the same plans to catch Pikachu over and over again and switch to a career in the performing arts, Jesse and James could be a Broadway powerhouse. This is so perfect. I I appreciate exactly how much thought was put into this. (laughs) But like, wouldn't that be so productive it would be good for them it would be good for ash and pikachu and everyone to have them out of their hair and they could make some really beautiful art like i don't see them as tv film actors you know they're too much they're too big but their campy huge energy is like the exact correct energy to fill a broadway house like jesse and james could play the winter garden tomorrow and kill it we will need to really hope maybe in 
Maybe in Detective Pikachu 2, now that we've gotten a little bit of a mm-hmm. view of the mm-hmm. Pokemon mm-hmm. world, and we know that canonically this is the same world from the Pokemon anime because the Mewtwo from the first Pokemon movie shows up in Detective Pikachu. You can get yeah. an older, wiser, reformed Jesse and James ripping it up on Broadway. <laughs> Who are now Broadway performers. I love it. I think we should pitch that. Well, Maggie, thank you so much. Uh, all of these answers have been amazing. Uh, oh, well, thank you. When you get a question like what levels of uh, Broadway and off would be best suited to which Pokemon, it's uh, hard not to come up with a great answer when the question is that good. So <laughs> thank you very much. If people want to find out more about you and uh, your upcoming projects, where can they find that information? That is a great question. Uh, you can go to my website, which is www.maggieherskowitz.com, M-A-G-G-I-E-H-E-R-S-K-O-W-I-T-Z. It's long and Jewish. Unlike me, I am short and Jewish. Um, and then my Twitter is Maggie underscore Julien, J-U-L-I-N-E. And the Twitter for my new name, Witch of the Wilderness, is at Witch Wilderness. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Happy Tonys. Happy Tonys. <laughs> And we are back from break. Thank you so much one more time to Maggie for coming on and being the guest for this week. Uh, you can check out Monster Prom on Steam. Monster Prom 2 is uh, currently just wrapping up or has wrapped up its Kickstarter and is in development. As for Witch of the Wilderness, check out that Kickstarter whenever it goes up. We'll, we'll make some uh, noise when that happens. Die. before we go, though, uh, one final thing. Uh, we have to handle a certain something. A thing that I really like doing. It's uh, it's number one with the bullets. It's Bill's Magic Minute. You know what? I I I, uh, I enjoy your struggle. Thank you. I'm glad because I think today I'm going to have an extra struggle. Okay. Because uh, there was actually some really big news that came down the Magic the Gathering pipeline recently. There was a teaser uh, for an upcoming magic the gathering animated series that will be appearing on netflix what oh that's that's the thing and uh i am going to take 21 seconds to discuss it that is not a lot of seconds at all oh not at all but uh, i'm prepared uh just for those of you who are unfamiliar uh so it doesn't bleed out into the rest of the podcast i devote all of my magic the gathering uh discussion to a randomized amount of time between one and 60 seconds I pick up the topic in advance. Uh, Dai is going to assist by keeping track of the time here, and I am ready to go when you are. And go. I'm really excited for this new Netflix series because, uh, first of all, they've got people from Avengers Endgame uh, overseeing it. I do hope that they are careful and uh, picky about which parts of the existing fiction they take, and they are hopefully open to reinterpreting things as needed for a show because there is a Alright, so that is our discussion of the Netflix adaptation of Magic the Gathering. (laughs) 21 seconds might be the shortest that uh, we've ever done together. It's pretty poor, yeah. I really could have used some more time to flesh that argument out. (laughs) 
Uh, so, Dai, though, this brings uh, this week's episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, before we go, if you want people to find you anywhere, where can they find you? Diebillick.com. Instagram, not Diebillick. And uh, the Harry. Harry has an Instagram, right? Yeah, my dog Harry is a rare breed of a dog. He's a prince. He's my everything. His Instagram handle is Harry Beef Picks. Awesome. I am a big fan of Harry Beef Picks. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> As for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, Simplecast, SoundCloud, YouTube. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Uh, that's every Wednesday and Thursday night, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online and MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Just recently, I had Die On. We played some Crazy Taxi and Punch Out together. I beat his ass. Uh, that might have happened. Uh, we also have played recently uh, SteamWorld Quest, Super Hot, Resident Evil 2, and I'll have Die On again to play some more games with me. Uh, last but not least, you can find me also at nerdalogs.com. Uh, check out uh, myself and a variety of other entertaining podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Bye.